Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Mercer Matters podcast. My name is Ben Sharp, and my goal is to have a discussion with each of the candidates who are running for Mercer Island School Board in the fall of 2023. I have reached out to each candidate and offered to have a discussion with them. But if for some reason you don't see a candidate listed as an episode in the podcast, it is because they have declined to be interviewed. So without further ado, let's jump right into this episode. Hi, today I'm joined by Todd White, who is running for uh, position five of the Mercer Island School Board. Uh, Todd, thanks for joining the Mercer Matters podcast here. Um, I'd like to get started. Uh, I just want to get started by thanking you for for taking the time to uh, throw your hat in the ring and, and run for this position. Um, you know, it's a lot of work and a ton of effort uh, to, to put together candidacy. So I just want to start off by saying thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe right off the top, I'll just give you an opportunity to introduce yourself. Um, tell us a little bit about your background and why you've uh, decided to run for the Mercer Island School Board. Well, great, Ben. Hey, thank you for putting this together. And, um, you know, I'm just uh, happy to participate. And uh, it's been a really rewarding journey um, to be a school board candidate. And so, yeah, let me uh, share a little bit about our family, um, why I'm running for school board and um, why I think I can make a difference. So uh, first off, uh, our family moved to the island in 2015. Our kids were two years old and six months old. So they've grown up here on the island. We live near Mercerdale Park. And so this has been their home uh, from the very beginning. And uh, we uh, feel so blessed to be here on the island. What a wonderful community it is. And we have a fantastic school district that has a reputation of delivering high quality education to our, our students. And so um, I am uh, interested in being on the school board because I want to ensure that our district remains one of the best in the state. And uh, I think that we have many, many wonderful programs and attributes associated with our, our school district. Uh, at the same time, we face some uh, significant challenges and opportunities here that I believe requires experienced leadership. So um, those are in part the reasons I'm running for school board. Uh, a little bit about myself. I was born in Columbus, Ohio, grew up there. Uh, my parents are both retired uh, school teachers. My mother has a PhD in psychology, was an elementary school psychologist. So, you know, teaching and teachers is part of my, my DNA. Uh, my parents uh, were born in uh, abject poverty in the hills of West Virginia and made their way to Columbus, Ohio, where they went on to achieve uh, graduate degrees. About myself, um, I joined the Navy out of college to become a pilot, which was my childhood dream. Very blessed to have that career. And I've served as a professional pilot, experimental test pilot uh, for the last 30 years, um, both with the Navy and with Boeing, where I currently work as an experimental test pilot. I have uh, over two decades of executive and senior management leadership experience, managing small, medium, and large teams. Most recently at Boeing, um, which I will caveat by saying they're not endorsing me as a candidate, but I worked as an executive at Boeing over the last several years, uh, managing a $100 million uh, operating budget annually and a team of about 500 people, uh, pilots in every time zone and uh, hemisphere on the planet, which is about the same size as a school district uh, in terms of their budget and their team size. And so why I'm running for school board more specifically is that, as I mentioned, Many, many wonderful attributes of this district. Um, 
However, we do face uh, some significant headwinds these days uh, when it comes to our, our financial sustainability. Uh, some of the policies um, programs we have in place, I think, need careful attention. And most recently, um, the board has put forth, and 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 Fred Rundle, our, our superintendent, have put forth uh, some proposals that, on the order of about uh, several hundred million dollars of renovation to our school buildings, possibly closing Island Park Elementary School. And I, I believe strongly that at this time, uh, those efforts should be put on pause. Um, I have experience managing budgets at that scale and for a variety of reasons, uh, I think we should uh, wait until next year to take up these these issues in earnest and make, make careful decisions about them. So again, I have young kids in the district, as many uh, of the families do, and um, I just want to ensure that that all the children that are in the district and will enter the district have the same academic opportunities uh, that of those that have graduated from the district, Ben. So thanks for hosting this, and um, I'll turn it back over to you for more questions or feedback. Yeah, no, great. Thank you. And, and you've hit you know, some of the hot button issues that are facing the community and, and things on my mind that I wanted to ask you about. And so we'll get there in a second. I, I think, yeah, uh, no pun intended to take it back to 30,000 feet. Uh, what, what is the, uh, what's the primary, like, what is the job of a school board member? Do you mind just, just kind of giving us a high level of what yeah. it is that a school board member does and what your responsibilities are? Yeah, that, that's a great, great fundamental question that I get asked. And so my perspective on that is a school board director, which is a title, is an executive function, which is uh, given the responsibility for creating a vision for the district. Where do we want to be in future time, a year, three, five years from now, in terms of our educational uh, delivery system, okay, to, the, to our children? What does the district look like in the future? And that is the, the foundational role of a director on the school board. And there are five members, so we need a consensus of at least three to create that vision for the district. And there are many, many important, complicated and challenging issues associated with the future of our district and our education for our children. But the director creates that vision. There, That is an executive function enabled by the uh, citizens of Mercer Island who elect those directors. They then uh, hand off that vision to the superintendent, Dr. Fred Rundle, who I have a good working level relationship with and respect him. And he and his staff then execute on the details of the vision of the board and report back on their performance. So the board creates the vision, they, they provide that to the superintendent, and then they evaluate the performance of the superintendent and, and their staff in terms of executing on that vision. And a, a director on the school board, my opinion is very similar to being executive director in the private sector, which I have done for decades. And so as an executive in the private sector, I create a vision. I have teams. I have a budget. At any one time, I can report to five different vice presidents who are all giving me feedback, air quotes, on a daily basis. Okay. Um, so there are a lot of overlaps. They're a little bit different in terms of accountability as an executive in the private sector. I'm held accountable every minute of every day that I'm performing in that role. School board director is a little different. There's a there's an election every four years, but you still get feedback from the community on a daily basis. And so hopefully that helps to answer your question of what is the role of a school board director. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, and I appreciate you 
you know, illustrating some of the differences too, because uh, that was that was that was going to be one of my follow ups. Is you know, obviously, I, I, at least I'm familiar with you know what a what a director does in the corporate world, um, but but less so in the, uh, in the in the public sector here. So I appreciate you highlighting those differences. Um, sure. So in your introduction, you know, you talked about a couple of the of the issues, but I was hoping to kind of focus in on you know, what you see is the top two or three most pressing issues facing the school district presently, um, you know, as we look out, you know, during your term over the next, you know, four years, what, what do sure. you see as sort of the, the, the big issues that you're, you'd be focusing on? Yeah. Yeah. Great question, Ben. So uh, I'll answer that question in two parts. Foundationally, with, within any organization, with any mission, you know, with the private sector, the school district, Having a sustainable financial uh, budget and executing on that budget is is foundationally the most critical aspect of being successful in your mission. And so I look at the budget. I have a background in executive finance, and I look at the budget of the district. I look at how it's being formulated and executed. And then what I see through my lens is a degradation and an erosion of the quality of, of educational services being delivered to our students. And so we have to have a, a sound, stable, predictable budget in order to deliver these services. So in terms of services, we look at what is the quality of the education? What are the programs that are being delivered to our students? Um, how do they manifest themselves into the actual schools themselves? And so as a parent with two kids at West Mercer Elementary School, I've seen firsthand how our budgetary challenges have manifest into an erosion of the quality of education Todd, can you give a couple examples? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm just getting ready to jump on that. Thank you. Um, one of the examples I'll point to uh, is a program mandated by the state called Inclusive Learning. And it's a very important program. And I've talked to many, many families about this program. And really what it uh, embodies is, is taking kids with special education needs, it's called special ed. And previously, they were in a, a classroom by themselves you know, being provided the resources that they need to thrive and be successful. But the state directed that those students join the larger classroom of general education students and combine everyone together. So that concept is uh, directed by the state. It has merit. It has the potential to be a very successful program. However, going back to my point about budgetary constraints, my experience with my kids and talking to families in the district is that this program has not been sufficiently resourced within our district. And unfortunately, the state put forth, I think it was $30,000, $40,000 initially, which was clearly not enough money to, to implement this successfully. So what we have is a situation where the program is implemented. Unfortunately, our teachers have not been properly resourced or trained. There's no additional para support in the classroom. And unfortunately, this program has, has really not been successful and has caused a lot of strain, frustration, concern within the community. Um, we've had events at West Mercer that have uh, been very concerning about children behavior. And, uh, and so I think, to my opinion, it's a lack of policy. It's a lack of resourcing for a critical program like inclusive learning. Perfect. Th thank you. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I've, personally learned quite a bit over the last year about inclusive learning. And you know, it wasn't a term that I had heard, uh, you know, prior to, you know, personally getting involved. And so, um, you know, I appreciate, you know, you, you highlighting that. What specifically, uh, you know, you mentioned so budget impacting the ability for the, 
the school district to execute effectively on this inclusive learning vision. You, you do you feel like it's purely a, a matter of resources and budget, or and and I guess if elected, what would you what would you do to change that? Yeah, so great question. I, I think it's I think it's in part due to resourcing and budget. And the reason I say that is I've studied our our district finances in detail. As I mentioned previously, I have experiencing manage I have experience managing a budget of about $100 million a year. So I understand how these are put together and executed. I met with the director of finance, Matt Sullivan, earlier this year to talk about budget and the plans for the future. Unfortunately, we are exhibiting budgetary strains. And I'll give you a couple of highlights. Number one, uh, our reserve fund, which should be around 10% of our mm-hmm. operating budget, should be around $10 million in reserves. Think of your bank account having uh, a rainy day fund is down around $2 million has been rapidly depleted over the last several years. Coupled into that are declining enrollment. There are well over a thousand families or students who have been withdrawn from the district for a variety of reasons, which my assessment have not been a significant enough priority for the district, for the board, for Fred, to fully characterize why these students have left the district. And uh, certainly COVID was a part of that, remote learning, but there are also uh, families who have left because they're frustrated with policies and outcomes within the district. So um, so those are some of the aspects of our, our mm-hmm. budgetary constraints. And my priority, number one, if elected, be to number one, stop the momentum around refurbishing the schools, shutting down Island Park. We, it's way too early to make a decision on that right now. We need much more analysis and community input on refurbishing our schools. Certainly at some point in the future, yeah, West Mercer was built in the 50s. Should it be revitalized? Absolutely. Um, but to, to talk about shutting down Island Park today is premature, in my opinion. Uh, secondly, with a budget of this scale, there are opportunities for efficiencies. Mm-hmm. And I, I look to our, our mayor, Salim Nees, who is one of my, my key endorsers. When he showed up at city council, they were facing financial challenges. He and others rolled up their sleeves, dug into the details, and turns out they were able to balance the budget. And so I would bring a similar approach uh, to the school district. I know how to manage these types of funds and, and staff and priorities. And so those are my, my number one priorities day one if I'm elected. That's awesome. Thank you. So I, I'm curious, you know, one of the things I want to talk about is to get your perspective on enrollment. And and you talked about that and, and yeah. how that's impacting the budget. Um, you know, Fred has talked, uh, Fred Reynolds talked about that quite a bit in his, you know, recent messages and in the school board meetings. Can you kind of give give me us a view of how you see the enrollment issue over the last say ten years, um, sort of high level, and then um, again, what are what are some of the drivers? You mentioned some of them in your in your previous comments about COVID and people leaving the district and things, but um, what what is the enrollment situation in your in your view, and and what are some of the things driving it? Yeah, great question, Ben. So the way I would characterize that is, you know, think about family business. Let's say your family owns, you know, a market, you know, in the community, a small grocery store, and you have customers. And over the last several years, you've watched your sales decline continuously over the years. Um, As a small business owner, you would be keenly interested in understanding why customers are not coming into your store. You would expect that the owner of that business would make it a top priority to fully characterize, take surveys, interviews, collect data uh, to understand why that's happening. And unfortunately, 
we have not done that as a district. And so I'll, I'll, I look back in March when I attended the school board meeting when the Davis Consulting Group, which is a demographer, which is a company that collects mm -hmm. data and analyzes uh, demographics, enrollment, and they had their charts. They talked about uh, decline in enrollment, which I, I take their charts on face value. It showed a decline in enrollment. However, I was underwhelmed by the data and the statistical rigor. So I have a graduate degree in aeronautical engineering. I understand math at a pretty high level. Um, I did not see, it was not readily apparent to me uh, how they calculated and came to these uh, mm -hmm. data conclusions. There was verbal conversations around declining birth rates, again, mm -hmm. verbal, but not integrated into the data. There were verbal conversations around the challenging uh, aspect of our real estate market here. I understand that, but not in the data. And just on my street alone, there's been five families who have moved in for the last, last year and a half mm -hmm. who have small kids. So people continue to move to the island. You know, it's a challenging real estate market. It's very expensive. I understand that. But again, only verbal conversations at that board meeting. Thirdly, uh, Fred... Uh, talked about having open office hours to talk to families who are thinking about leaving the district. I compliment Fred for doing that, but my question is, why is this happening so late in the game? We've lost so many kids over so many years. And so only recently have we heard uh, some more specific interest in, in articulating uh, the root cause of why families have left the district. Um, I've talked to families who've pulled their kids out because they're frustrated with policy mm -hmm. and outcomes within the district. Uh, now my family has experienced um, some some churn in, 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 at West Mercer. And so I think, I think we need to fully characterize that. I think each board meeting should kick off with a report from the superintendent to the board of a proactive program of attracting and retaining families within mm -hmm. the district. How is that program uh, moving forward? What are the results? What are the projections? foundationally the kids the kids are number one if they're leaving the district that's a big problem and thus far i haven't seen an aggressive movement toward fully understanding that. so uh, clearly one of the biggest challenges facing the district and and what you're proposing is let's make it priority number one in the board meetings and and report and gather data yes uh to understand and characterize the Correct. issue so so to your knowledge there's been no survey or uh, information gathering effort about why people are leaving? Well, my understanding, again, from talking to families who have left the district, is there are exit interviews that, that take place or should be taking place of families who have left the district. And why that data has not been transparently shared, uh, I think needs to be understood. And so I, I believe the data is there. Um, the question is, why are we not uh, publicly talking about it? Okay, I see. Got it. Um, yeah, I mean, it only it only makes sense to to try to figure out and understand, uh, you know, at the board level, at the leadership level. I think why you know why yeah. why this is occurring. I mean, there's a lot of anecdotal stories, and we all know people who've you know sure. pulled their kids out. But uh, you know, yeah, yeah, I think getting wide <laughs> wide data only makes sense. So, uh, following up on the enrollment issue. If elected, you're a leader, one of one of five that's going to be helping set the vision. I understand that first we need to understand why people are leaving. Um, but what are some ideas that you have? Uh, what, what can we do as a school district, as a board to win back the, the students who've left the district? Or is it possible? 
Great question. I, I think it is possible to bring families and students back into the district. Uh, I, I think that, as we just have talked about, uh, the first step is what problem are we trying to solve? We have to understand that fundamentally and address the problem we're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. And certainly, uh, being realistic, there's a spectrum of reasons why families have, have left the district. Again, COVID, remote work, things like that have impacted it. But my understanding and looking at some of the data is our district has about a two times greater decline in student enrollment than other districts within the state of Washington. And so I, I, I just fundamentally believe it has to be an aggressive pursuit of the board, of the superintendent, to gather that data, to analyze it, be very, very transparent in recognizing that we can't address every single concern, probably, realistically. So we can't you know, change everything that caused uh, folks to leave. But I think step one is, is, is making it a priority, being transparent, engaging the community, talking to those families who have left or considered, have considered leaving. And once we've done that, apply appropriate policies and resourcing toward those concerns to bring back some of those families, to attract new families, retain families within the district. Again, it's all about the kids. And if if families aren't buying what we're selling, we need to fundamentally understand that. Perfect. Thank you. Um, All right. So shifting gears a little bit to another hot button issue, which you talked about as being, you know, one of your priorities, which is to sort of stop momentum of some of the facility, you know, upgrades and, you know, bond discussions and closing schools and stuff. Sure. But let's tunnel in a little bit on that um, for a second, because, you know, I I think some of the announcements sort of caught the community off guard, I think is a fair characterization. Um, There's been quite a bit of attention lately on on communicating, which I think is great. Um, But can you just sort of summarize for people who may not have been sort of tuning into this issue or just heard a little bit about it. Um, from your perspective, what's going on with the, with the facilities of the, of the district? Um, so brief history from your perspective. And then, uh, and again, maybe you could elaborate on, on sort of your position and what you do uh, moving forward if elected. Yeah. Great, great question, Ben. Um, certainly one of the most important issues facing the district today to give a little history, there's been a planning committee in existence for for several, many years. Um, And the mission of that committee, and it's comprised of community members, former school board members, current school board members, and the mission is to look at our facilities and develop some options for the community in terms of revitalizing the infrastructure of our schools. And so that activity has been going along for several years. However, it ramped up significantly in the spring of this year and I attended or watched the meetings on video, um, and I learned a lot about what's currently being proposed. And these proposals have merit. What we're talking about is revitalizing some of the schools. For example, West Mercer, where my kids attend, was built in the 50s. Um, should there be an effort to revitalize some of that infrastructure within that school? Certainly. Is it is it falling down? Is it in you know just such a de- degraded state that it's not usable? No, of course not. It's a decent school, but mm-hmm. it could use some revitalizing and certainly some of the other schools as well, to include the middle school and the high school. So that's the high level concept where I have concerns are, number one, the magnitude of the proposals range from about one hundred million dollars to four hundred million dollars. 
if you add in the school budget, annual budget, it was about $80 million. We're talking about almost a half a billion dollars of significantly impactful financial decisions which have to be made by the board. And so earlier this year, that planning activity started to, uh, to increase. And I, I attend those meetings and the architectural planning group, uh, Malam, I have a lot of respect for and the people who are part of this process, a lot of, I give them a lot of credit for putting in the hours and developing these detailed plans. They're pretty complicated. I, I, I watched them and attended these meetings and I gotta be honest, at times I was struggling to keep up with all the different uh, pieces on the chessboard as it were. So here's where I get concerned is the last meeting was, I think, in June, right before summer break. Um, there were some folks that attended. I was there. And then when we came back for school here in the fall, there was, a, I guess, a big announcement around the intent. And that caught a lot of uh, the community members off guard. I was at the last couple of school board meetings where uh, community members provided feedback to the board. Uh, regrettably, uh, one board member was... Uh, really probably maybe had a bad day, but provided uh, what I thought was an unprofessional uh, characterization of the concerns of the, of the members of the community around these projects. And more specifically, for reasons that's not apparent to me, Island Park Elementary has been identified as a school that would likely be closed or turned into a swing school and ev eventually closed. I've looked at the data. I've managed budgets on a scale similar to this. I, I cannot find a compelling business case of why we would shut down Island Park. Uh, I, I don't see it. The community doesn't see it. There are many, many frustrated parents who were, were informed of this and feel like uh, communication was, was not uh, timely and transparent. And so I believe we should suspend these activities. Great work has been done. Let's get the new board members on board. So uh, get the board members on board. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's get the new the new board elected, and then let's take this up next year. Yeah, thanks thanks for for characterizing that. I you know I, I think from a layman's perspective, you know we look at we just built recently Northwood, uh, invested a lot in that new school. Correct. Um, you know, obviously no one could have foreseen the impacts of COVID and such, um, but now we've got you know a fairly steepening uh, decline in enrollment, and so now you know clearly. As a community, that puts us in a in a tricky situation. Um, I, I'm kind of curious what 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 is the operational savings for closing, you know, an elementary school, say Island Park. I mean, is that a significant savings, or or, or do you know what impact does it have on the budget? Yeah, uh, great question. So at the last planning meeting back in June, that specific question was mm -hmm. asked to Fred, and I have a lot of respect for Fred. Uh, he's so engaged in the community. I have a great working level relationship with him. I'm going to meet with him uh, Tuesday next week to have a chat. His answer was back of the envelope calculation was about a million dollars a year, which to me, number one, is not my my assessment uh, statistically significant. Mm -hmm. I mean, a million dollars is, is important, but in terms of the overall budget. Um, also, I was a little surprised that it was back of the envelope calculation mm -hmm. at this stage of this process. Um, Matt Sullivan, the finance director, was at that meeting. I would have hoped that Matt would have spoken directly to the you know, opportunity for savings. Um, but then later, what I've heard is that it's kind, of, it's kind of in the wash. It's in the noise, whether or not they can really save money. They're not necessarily going to uh, 
uh, reduce costs. If you uh, turn this into a swing school or idle it, uh, there really apparently is not much savings, if any, to doing so. And so the, the question becomes, why would we entertain this concept now when we have so many so many challenges financially? My my input is let, let's separate these two things. Let's let's get our budget fixed. Let's get our finances in order. Let's stabilize. Let's get our bond rating back up to where mm-hmm. it used to be. And then once we've done that and we understand declining enrollment, now we're in a position to have a focused conversation about infrastructure within our schools. Revitalization, that can be on the on the table. We need to separate these two activities. And so can you, so back in the napkin, million dollars a year, can you put that into perspective? What What is the overall budget annually for the school district? Do you know? It's about... It's about ninety million dollars a year. Yeah, I'm very familiar with okay. it. Um, so just over one percent. Matt, I've looked at the budget. Yeah, less than one percent. Okay, less than one percent. Okay, less than one percent. Okay. No, no, you're right. Just a little bit over more. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Um, interesting. So, listen, I, I we spent a lot of time talking about the challenges that are faced, um, which I think is appropriate. But I kind of wanted to end uh, <laughs> end on a more optimistic note. Yeah. Um, my, my sort of last question for you, um, you know, what are the what, what's the biggest opportunity that we have as a community um, uh, for our for our kids that we're not taking advantage of? What are some things that we could do um, to to improve the quality of education um, and kind of give us your vision for what that looks like uh, over the over the next four years? That's that's a fantastic question, because all of these discussions should start and end with the students. And first of all, I personally am so grateful to be a member of this community, have young kids in the district. We have a fantastic school district, which has a reputation of delivering outstanding uh, quality of education to our students. When I go to the high school and interact with with these students, I'm so impressed with their poise, their demeanor, uh, their confidence. And I, I remark at that thinking about, you know, my time in high school and I wouldn't have been that poised or capable of, of these kids as I see them today. So we, we definitely need to celebrate what we have and build on that. I think that ensuring that our students are prepared to enter adulthood, poised, capable, respectful, mindful, and giving grace uh, to those around them in their community uh, is so important. And so ensuring that those those behaviors are are instilled and part of the culture of our of our school system is, is super important. They're already there. But we need to make sure that they, they stay there, making sure that we have the counselors and the emotional well-being support of our, our children is so important today in, in this environment uh, that's very complicated uh, as they enter into uh, young adulthood. Um, screen time is a big challenge. <laughs> I think we need a district-wide policy on homework would be helpful. Um, so a lot to celebrate, mm-hmm. Ben. Um, but maintaining academic rigor, AP course availability is super important to me, and I think those should be our focus areas. Awesome. Well, thanks, Todd, very much for for joining me and, and having this discussion. Um, I just close out. If people want to learn more about you and your candidacy, where can I go to get get that information? Yeah, just Google Todd White Mercer Island School Board, and it'll pop up, and uh, they can check out my website. Perfect. Awesome. Well, hey, thank thank you very much. It was a great discussion, and uh, again, I appreciate you running for uh, for this position, and uh, wish you the best of luck. Hey, Ben, thanks for uh, sponsoring this. Uh, I enjoy the engagement and I've enjoyed this journey. It's been a fantastic opportunity to engage with the community. So thank you for your time today. 